Joshua, Joshua chapter 3. You can turn your Bibles to Joshua chapter 3. And we're not going to spend too long there, we're going to sort of jump. And I'm not going to get this done tonight. So we'll see when we get to the book. Joshua chapter 3. And starting in verse 9, and we'll read to the end, so we'll read responsibly. I'll read verse 9, you respond to verse 10, and then we get to verse 17 at the end. Joshua chapter 3, verse 9. Joshua said unto the children of Israel, Come hither, and ye, and hear the word of the Lord your God. Joshua said, Hereby ye shall know that the living God is among you, and that you will come Started, the picture of their Christian life started 
in Exodus chapter 12 when God delivered them. Exodus chapter 12, if you turn to your Bibles, we're going to spend quite a bit of time here. Or as a jump start for uh, going forward. The verse, uh, chapter 12, we'll start verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months, and it shall be the first month of the year to you. Verse 3, Speak unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And I'm going to stop here, and we're going to just you know, go verse by verse through this. So we see in verse 3 a lamb. And the lamb is a picture of the sacrifice, as we will see later on, but at this point we, we see a lamb. It's not necessarily a full picture because the Buddhists have a lamb. They have Buddha, they have their good master, they have their good teacher. The Mormon have Joseph Smith, the Muslims have Muhammad. You know, you go through them all, they've all, all the religions have a lamb. They have their founder and their person who they look up to. Um, the Seventh-day Adventists have Alan White, the J-Dubs have Charles Russell, and the Catholics have the Pope and the priests. And we see here that if they just took that lamb, if they just had that lamb in their house, it's not enough. They would all die with the Egyptians because they had a lamb, but they hadn't done what God said to do with the lamb. Um, so if you look at uh, Matthew chapter 16, have that on the board, Matthew chapter 16. And the Pharisees, no, sorry, chapter 16 and verse, verse 16, no, sorry, 19 verse 16, 19 verse 16. 19 verse 16, And behold, one came unto him, one came and said unto him, Good master, what shall I, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain, that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. He saith unto him, Which? And Jesus said, Thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. Honour thy father, father and thy mother, and, that, and thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself. And the young man saith unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? And Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell all that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard this, that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. If you look there, he had a good, he viewed Christ as a good master. And this is what the Buddhists say. They have their good master, and they believe that by doing their good works, that they will obtain heaven. It's the same with all of the other religions. They have their head of their organization, and they say, what good things shall I do to obtain eternal life? They're all looking for what can I do to obtain uh, eternal life, redemption, whatever their form of heaven is, the Buddhists don't believe in heaven, obviously, they believe in reincarnation, but to gain a better reincarnation, they have to do good works. And it's the same, there's two religions in the world, essentially, do and done. 
and every religion is categorized into those two. Either you have to work to earn heaven, or Christ has done it all for you. It's do and done. You can, you know, the Catholics add their confession, they add the uh, rosary, you know, they're, they're all their traditions to the blood of Christ. They believe that the blood of Christ pays away and that you need the blood of Christ, but they add their works to the blood of Christ. The, the, um, the Seventh-day Adventists believe that Christ's blood paid for all the sins that you can do except for the seventh day. You have to keep the seventh day in order to go to heaven if you follow the Seventh-day Adventist doctrine. They say you have to keep the Sabbath. But the whole law of the Sabbath encompasses more than just the Sabbath day, the seventh day of the week. The Sabbath, there's the Sabbath of the land every seven years. There's the Sabbath, um, and there's the high Sabbath. So, you know, and they take and they pick and they choose what has been covered and what work you need to do. So they've added their works to the price that Christ has paid. And it's all based on what their religious guru dreamed up. If you look at all of like the Mormons with Joseph Smith, when he came up with that lot, they had a hat over his head and he was just speaking out. He said he saw golden tablets. But if you look at his backstory, he was a crystal ball charlatan. If you, if you look it up, he used a crystal ball at times in his life and it's witchcraft and he's the founder of the Mormon church and you can go and look at what they teach in their doctrine. You know, they believe that you have to be baptized for your dead ancestors, but not for you to get to heaven, but for them to get to a higher form of heaven. The Mormons believe that you can become a god and that Jesus Christ became a god and created this world by his good work somewhere else. You know, and they believe that God, the Father, or their interpretation of it, is too holy to touch matter. So he made a lesser God, who made a lesser God, who made a lesser God, who then creates the world. And they have come up with that, but it's not based on what God has said. It's based on essentially a witch doctor's opinion of what he saw while he was performing his, uh, whatever you want to call it, his ceremonies, his rituals. Um, and this uh, young man, he said, what lack I? And he said, all these things have I kept from my youth up. The reality is he couldn't have kept all of those things from his youth up. He lied about his own good works. If you're going to say that your good works are going to get you to heaven, you have to lie and you have to redefine what is good and bad works. You can't say, you know, because God has a standard here, and God said his righteousness, his righteousness is laid for line. You have to be sinless and imperfect, sinless perfection in order to obtain heaven. And the only way we can get that is through Christ. Um, but these, the religions add their own works to it. So we see having a lamb is not good enough. If we look in verse 4, and if the household be too little for a lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall he make count for the lamb. So we see, and we're going to progress through this, and we'll see a more, a more and more complete picture of the gospel. We've gone from having a lamb to the lamb. 
It's now singular. There is only one Lamb. If we go to John chapter 1, verse 29. 29. And the next day Jesus says, John, the next day John sees Jesus coming unto him, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Go down to verse 35. The same words. And the next day after John stood, so this is the, he says it, uh, Behold the Lamb of God one day, and the next day again, again the next day after John stood with two, and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. John was a soul and he led, but he pointed those men to Christ. Um, go to John chapter 14, verse 16. Verse we're you know, fairly familiar with. No, John, sorry, six, verse 6. Verse 6, sorry. John 14, 6. And Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. So we see that Jesus Christ is the Lamb. You can't get to God any other way. You can't get to God through your religion, through whatever good works you want to lay out as necessary. It's through Christ. He is the Lamb and the way. But knowing that Christ is the way to heaven is not enough. You can know that Christ is the only way. I went to church for 18 years and I believe that Jesus was the only way to heaven. But I wasn't saved. Because it's not just that He is the way. Is He your Lamb? Verse 5. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 5. Your Lamb shall be without blemish, male of the first year. Ye shall pay him from the sheep or from the goats. So we see here, in the first part of the verse, your Lamb. It's now gone from a Lamb to the Lamb. It's now your Lamb. Is Christ your Lamb? Has, you know... John uh, chapter 20, we go to John chapter 20, in verse 27, John chapter 20, verse 27, Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, reach hither my fingers, and behold my hands, and reach thy hand, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing, and Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God, Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou believe. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet believe. You know, Thomas confessed that Jesus was his Lord and his God. And that is what we need to be at. But where we need to be, Christ needs to be our Lord and our God. But if you go to... Philippians chapter 9, verse 11. Philippi uh, sorry, not Philippians 9, chapter 9, sorry. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. Wherefore God also has also, sorry, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name above, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things Amen. in heaven and things in earth and things under earth, under the earth. That every tongue should confess that Jesus yep. Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Someday, everyone, saved or lost, is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
you saying that Christ is your Lord does not mean necessarily that you are saved. Christ said, be many that say to me, Lord, Lord, which do not the things that I do. If you call me Lord, Lord, why do you not do the things that I do? I, when I was, I think I must have been around 11 or 12, I went to, there was a, I don't know what you would call it, a convention, it's called Promise Keepers, and it started out good, and then they left the doctrine of God. When I went there, I was about 12, and they asked, if you want, you know, if you want to receive Christ, come to the front and you, you know, ask Him to be your Lord and your Savior. Uh, to be your Lord and to make Him your Lord. And I want, you know, I was convicted, I wanted to be a Christian, but asking Him to be your Lord, I, I don't know, I didn't get saved then, because I know when I got saved at 18, there was a change in my life. But when I went down there and made said, be my Lord to Christ, I wasn't saved. You've been making him his Lord whether you want him to be or not. Yep. Um, it's not enough to confess that he is Lord just by that in and of itself. And we'll, we'll look at uh, Romans chapter 10 a little bit in a little bit. But uh, also in verse 5 it says, without blemish. So um, Exodus chapter 12 verse 5, your land shall be without blemish. You know, if you look at all the religions of the world, all of their leader had their faults. Yep. You know, and they will admit that they had mistakes and errors, but that they were just pointing the way. Christianity does not make that claim about Christ. Yep. If you turn to Second uh, Corinthians chapter five, verse twenty-one. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse twenty-one. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Yep. Christ didn't sin. Christianity claims something about our leader, or several things about our founder, that nobody else claims. We believe that he died and was buried and rose again. Yep. Everybody else, all the other religions, their founder is dead. Yep. In the ground. But yep. Christ is alive. He rose from yep. the dead. So, you know, is he your land? If you look in um, Exodus chapter 12, Exodus chapter 12 again, verse 6, And ye shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. It's, again, it's not enough to have a lamb, or to have your lamb, or the lamb, as the lamb died for you again. They... Buddhists would say that Buddha was their leader and they followed him. So he is to them their land. From their point of view, he is your land. But did he die for you? Buddha didn't die for them. Did the land die in your place? Uh, First Corinthians 15, chapter 1. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. There's one moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which also I preached unto you, which ye also have received, and wherein ye stand. By the which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I received. So Paul was giving them what he already had. He was saved and he was giving it to them. 
which Paul Cyrus held that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Everything that Christ went through on the cross, and I'm not going to take time to go through it all, because I have preached long enough under this, but um, everything that Christ went through on the cross was foretold. It was predicted in the Bible. And Christ went through it. You can't, the number of prophecies that went before about Christ and what he would go through, and that Christ actually went through them, is beyond human uh, capability. It's beyond, you can't have made it up. You know, even if they took, even if Jesus was a man, like the JWs will tell you, they'll tell you that Christ was not God, uh, that Jesus was not God, for him to have fulfilled all the prophecies as if he was just a man is impossible because you can't know all of the prophecies all at once and know, right, this is when I need to fulfill this one, this is when I need to fulfill that one. But step by step, if you read through the Gospel of Matthew, for instance, there's a lot of it where it says, as it was foretold, or as it was spoken by the prophets. See if I can find just uh, an example of it. Um, Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2 and uh, verse 17. Matthew chapter 2 verse 17. Then was it fulfilled, which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet. So we see prophecy being fulfilled. In Rama, there was a voice heard, lamentation and weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and would not be comforted, because they are not. But when Herod was dead, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him, unto Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take this young child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel, for they are dead which sought for the young child's life. And he arose, and took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus, that reigned in Judea in the room of his father Herod. He was afraid to go to her, notwithstanding, being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into the parts of Galilee, and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which is spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. So twice there we see uh, a reference to Christ fulfilling the prophecy that went before. If you jump back to verse 15, and so this is when he fled. So I go to verse 13, and they departed, and they were departed. This is talking about the uh, wise men or the uh, magi. Um, and when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto Joseph in the dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee into Egypt, and be thou there until till I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And he arose and took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Israel and was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord by the prophet saying out of Egypt have I called my son. So three times you know, in just a few short verses we see Christ in his life was fulfilling prophecy. There is no earthly way for a man who fulfilled all the prophecies that went before on Christ. We look on, on this whole um, verse, Exodus 12, verse 6, you look 
that the Lamb dying for the people. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. If you want to write the references down and read them later, but go to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And we'll start, we'll start off in verse 4. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. Wherefore he he, wherefore he went cometh unto the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldst not, but a body hast thou prepared me, and burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast no pleasure. Then said I, Though I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me. And that's talking about all the prophecies that went before on Christ. He said, I come to do thy will, O God. And above he saith, verse, verse 8, above when he said, Sacrifice and offerings, and burnt offerings, and offerings for sin thou wouldst not, neither hast thou pleasure therein, whereby which are offered by the Lord. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second, by the which we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ once for all. You know, and that again comes back to Christ died once for all. It's finished. Christ said on the cross, it is finished. Why do then, if the religions that are out there are really Christian, why do they need to add their works when the Bible says it is finished, when the Bible says Amen. that the offering of Christ's body was once for all? Yep. Everybody in the Bible, if you follow biblical salvation, everybody in the Old Testament was saying, believing that Christ would come, that Christ would die for them. We believe now that Christ has come and that He did pay for our sin. We believe in the same event for salvation once for all. Once for Abraham, once for Moses, once for Adam, once for the apostles afterwards, once for Paul, once for Apollos, all once for us. And it's not based on our works. We can't add to it, but people try. We like to try to purchase our salvation because it makes us feel better about our state. If we look now in Exodus chapter 12 again, we'll carry on down, verse 7. You know, it's not, again, it's not enough that the Lamb died for you, because he that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. It's not just enough, you know, Christ pays for the sin of the world, but has the blood been applied to you personally? Uh, Exodus chapter 7. Exodus chapter 12, verse 7, sorry. And they shall take of the blood and strike it upon the two side posts and on the upper doorpost of the house wherein they shall eat. Jump down to verse 22. Verse 22 is talking about the same thing. Verse 22. And ye shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike it upon the lintel and the two side posts with the door that is in the basin, and none of you shall go out at sorry, none, none of you shall go out at the door of his house until the morning. You know, is faith with that blood? Hyssop is a picture of faith. Have you by faith had the blood of Christ applied to the door of your heart? Are you covered by the blood of Christ? It's, um, if we jump to Romans chapter 10, verse 9. 
familiar verse uh, if you've been around church. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. We talked about him, and verse 5 talks about your land, verse 6 talks about that the land must die. And you need to believe that Christ has died for you, paid your sins, and ask him. You know, I was to church for 18 years, and I believe that my good works would get me to heaven. I believe the gun church was what made me a Christian. If you ask me, well, you know, you're a Christian, well, I go to church. And I actually, at this point, you're saved when the blood is applied to your heart, when you ask Christ to save you. If we look at Luke chapter 18, go to Luke 18. Luke chapter 18, Luke chapter 18, verse 9 through 14. And he spake this parable unto certain, which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed up for himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortionate or unjust, adulterous, or even as this publican. I fast twice in a week. I give tithes to all that I possess. We just pause there for a minute. This man presented his good works to Christ, and he added everything that you could add. Faithful church attendance, faithful praying, faithful and honest in the way he lives. He presents that to God, and the publican, if you look at the, we'll carry on in just a moment, the publican says, verse 13, and the publican. A publican was a Jew who worked for the Romans. He was a tax collector. And the Romans would only tell the tax collector what the tax rate was. The tax collector was told by the Romans, say for instance, it's, your tax is $10, for uh, $10, we'll just use our currency for uh, the argument's sake. Your tax is $10. That's what the Romans said. You have to give us $10 tax from every person. The people didn't know that that was tax. So the tax collector, who didn't get paid by the Romans, would could come along and say, right, your tax, because I don't like you, is $30. And he'd keep the 20 for himself and give the 10 that he was obliged to give to the Romans. And that's the kind of, you think about Zacchaeus, you know, he talked about uh, half of what I own shall I give to the poor. And if I have uh, stolen, if we go just uh, to chapter 19, but, um, just real quick, because that's where um, talks about this, um, Zacchaeus. Um, verse 8, chapter 19 of Luke, verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore to him fourfold. If you look at that, Christ came into his house and he got saved and he started showing fruit of repentance. Fourfold restoration is what the Bible requires by law to be restored to someone if you stole from them. He got saved and then he did his work. He didn't do his work and you get saved. You've, you know, you've got to get the order right. Your works come after your salvation, 
not for your salvation. Amen. If we go back to chapter 18 and verse 13, and the publican, so a man like Zacchaeus, a chief, says, standing afar off, would not lift so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, this is Christ speaking, Christ says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and him that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Christ looked at the works of the, public, uh, the publican, and, uh, sorry, of the Pharisee, and said it's not good enough. But he looked at the publican, standing afar off, he was a long way from God, and he asked God for mercy, because he was a sinner, and God said that he was justified because of that, rather than the man who had offered God all his good works. You know, it's God's mercy that saves us, because we have no righteousness. If you look at Isaiah chapter 14, uh, Isaiah 64, 64, all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Isaiah 64. Says, but we all as an unclean thing, but we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are filthy rags. We all do fade as relief, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. If you look at the end of the verse, it says, but we, it's plural, and you go further on, all as an unclean thing, and all our it's not talking about your individual sin or your own righteousness. It's ours. Everyone in this room, all your righteousness and my righteousness combined is still filthy rags. The righteousness of this whole world combined. All the good that every human in history can do is a filthy rags. You know, it's all, all people, all time. It's rot rags in the sight of God. That's what God thinks of us. But when we come to God and ask Him for mercy, like the publican in Luke 18, God, and you ask Him for mercy, God said He's justified. Justified is a legal term, meaning you are cleared in the court of God. Your sins are pardoned, because, not because you get away with it. You know, a lot of people say, oh, you can, Christianity is, uh, 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 Christians are hypocrites because they can sin and get, you know, they can sin and it's covered. They can sin and it's covered. You can't sin and sin and sin and sin without it. If you're a Christian and you're constantly, if you say you're a Christian and you're constantly sinning, are you saved because Christ said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments? There is, it's not that you do good works to be saved, but that your works show afterwards. If you look at Ephesians chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 8, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, uh, very familiar verses to us. But it says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And that's first. You see your salvation first. And then verse 10, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. It says there, We are his workmanship. So after we're saved, he's working on us, created, so it says created in Christ Jesus. So you're in Christ. When you're in Christ, it's unto good works. 
which God has before ordained that we should walk on in them. It talks there about being before ordained. It talks there that before the world began, it was ordained that if you believe in Christ, you will do good works. Amen. Not that you do good works to attain to being to salvation. Before ordained in Christ Jesus, sorry, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. So first we're created unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. The we there is talking about those who are saved, not that you should obtain attain your salvation by it. Um, if we go back to Romans, Luke, and this time in verse 23, it talks about the thief on the cross. Sorry, uh, verse 39, yeah, start, uh, start verse 38. And the superinscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And one of the male factors which were hanged right upon him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answered and rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, this man, but this man hath done nothing amiss. Then said he, that's the thief on the cross, unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus saith unto him, Today, verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And he came to Christ, and before he was saved, he admitted that he was getting what he deserved. You know, people often think, well, I haven't done enough to go to hell. It only takes one sin. And if you read in, in Revelation chapter 20, Revelation chapter 21, verse 8, But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and the whoremongers and the sorcerers and the idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. It talks there, all liars. It's, you know, it lists all these great, what we look at as great big sins, and that includes liars. If you tell one lie, you're guilty to be damned to the lake of fire. That's all it takes. And, you know, you talk about a white lie. A white lie is just a half-truth. But it's still not the truth. It's still a lie. If you've told a white lie, you know, you, you don't tell someone something, or you tell them something contrary to the truth to protect them from the truth because the truth will hurt them. That's essentially what a white lie is. You're, you're lying with good intention. God still says you're lying. You're still a liar. And God says that just that one lie is all it takes to earn eternity in the lake of fire. But that's why Christ came, you know, and why we need Christ. Because God's standard is as we looked at their sinless. It talks about the lamb being without blemish. We talked about Christ and you no sin. In Ezekiel, and I can't remember the reference, but it says God has laid righteousness to a line. When you look at a line, it's a string line. If you work in construction, you know what a string line is. How straight, uh, Brother Richard, is a string line? It's straight, isn't it? It's, what, it's, it's the definition of straight. And so... Christ is the definition 
of sinless. And if you can't attain to that, if you can't attain to being perfect, you can't enter into heaven. Because God is holy. The Bible says, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. He is a thrice holy God. And to be holy is to be separate from sin. You can't come to God in your sin. You need it to be covered. And that is the whole point of Exodus chapter 12. The whole picture there is to be covered by the blood of a spotless lamb. And of course that is a picture of Christ. And to carry on with the picture here of salvation, we see, so if you get to verse 7 and you, you have the blood, so chapter 12, Exodus chapter 12 verse 7, and they shall take the blood and strike it upon the two side posts on the upper door post of the houses where any shall eat it. If you get that far, if you are covered by the blood, then verse 13, if you jump to verse 13, that is the promise of God concerning the blood. And the blood, verse 13, and the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses wherein ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and the plague shall be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Uh, we sang the song this morning, when I see the blood, I shall pass over you. This is the verse that they got it from. That the hymn writer got their inspiration for the song from. It's not when I see your church attendance for 18 years, as it was in my case, that God doesn't look at that and say, well, I'm going to pass over you because you went to church faithfully for 18 years. God doesn't look at it and say, you've led prayer in church, I'm going to pass over you. I'm going to deliver you from the wrath to come. God says, when I see the blood, when God sees the blood of Christ applied to your heart and to your spirit, when you're born again in the Spirit of God, God will pass over you, but not before that. Not before the blood has been applied. So, that comes first. And just to complete the picture of salvation first and then works, if we look in verse 8, verse 8, And they shall eat of the flesh that night, sorry, uh, Exodus chapter 12, verse 8, And they shall eat the, eat the flesh in the night, and that night roast with fire and unleavened bread and with bitter herbs shall ye eat it. So from verse 8 on to verse 12, changes from a picture of you being saved to a picture of your sanctification and the evidences of salvation. So verse 8 um, is unleavened bread. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, chapter 5 verses 1 to 8, probably um, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and it is reported commonly among commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. And ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned that he hath done this deed, that he might be taken from away from among you. For verily I uh, for, for I verily be as being absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him. That has done, that has so done this thing. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together, and my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, 
that the Spirit may be saying in the day of the Lord, Your glory is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the lump? Purge out the old leaven that ye sorry, purge out therefore the old leaven that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. If we look there, go, um, go to, you know, what, what is the leaven? If you, leaven is talked about as doctrine. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 12. Matthew chapter uh, 16 verse 5. Verse 5, sorry. And his disciples were come to the other side. Sorry, and, and when his disciples were come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. And Jesus saith, said unto them, Take heed, and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. But, and they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have no bread, which Jesus perceived, and, sorry, which when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, O ye of little faith, why reason ye among yourselves? Because ye have, O ye of little faith, why reason ye among yourselves? Because ye have no bread. Do ye not understand, neither remember the five loaves of the five thousand, and how many baskets took ye up? Neither the seven loaves of the four thousand, and how many baskets took, took, have ye took up? How is it that ye do not understand that I spake, not, spake it not concerning bread, but that ye should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees? Then understood they how he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees. So we see that leaven is a picture of doctrine, or of false doctrine. And if you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse, one, uh, verse 8, I believe it is, just where we were before, it says, With the unleavened bread, of sincerity and truth. If you get saved, you're not going to look at, you're going to take a look at yourself and just and look at yourself according to the truth. And honestly, sincerity, to be sincere is to be honest in what you do. And so it's with sincerity and truth. You're going to take an honest look at yourself and judge yourself, evaluate yourself by the truth, which is the Word of God, not by the standard of other people. The Bible says, comparing yourselves among yourselves, you're not wise. We, we as Christians are to compare ourselves to Christ, not to our fellow man. It talks there in verse 8, and I'm, I'm trying to rush this, I'm probably going to go over time, but verse 8, verse 8, chapter, sorry, Exodus chapter 12, verse 8, it says in the, the last part of that verse, and with better herbs shall ye eat it. And if you jump to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and we start in verse 8 7, start in verse 8 chapter 7 verse 8 For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent Though I did repent, for I perceived that the same epistle that hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrow to repentance. 
or you were made sorry after a godly manner, that you might not receive damage, sorry, that you might receive damage by us and nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. So but the sorrow of the world, that's what leads people to suicide, is the sorrow of the world. But godly sorrow, when you look at yourself in the truth, with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth, it will work in you a godly sorrow, not to be repented of. And that's your bitter herbs, it doesn't taste nice to repent. You have to be humble. So in uh, verse 11, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 11, if we, and this is the, exact, the evidence of true repentance. For behold, the selfsame thing that ye sorrowed after a godly sword, what carefulness it wrought in you. So the first thing that it's going to work in you is carefulness. You're not going to be blasé about how you live your life. You're going to be care, take care and say, is this going to offend God? Is it going to cause my fellow man to stumble? It will work carefulness in you. So what carefulness is brought in you? But gain what clearing of yourselves. You know, you're going to want to have a clear account with God and man. Gain what indignation. You're going to be offended when you see that sin that you were involved in, that you're repenting of. It's, going, it's not going to sit right with you to watch others do the same thing. It's indignation. Gain what fear. You're going to be afraid of God, not in the sense that you're scared of what God will do to you, but out of respect, you don't want to uh, offend God. But you also are afraid of the punishment, in a sense, because if I was, when I was growing up, if I was not afraid that Dad would book me for certain things, I would have just done whatever I wanted. So there is a sense of fear in it, but it's a fear that leads to respect. Carrying on. Gain what vehement desire. You're going to have a strong desire. You know, if you repent of whatever your sin is, you're going to have a strong desire to see other people repent. Vehement desire. Yea, what zeal? And that's much the same thing. Yea, what revenge? Now we talk vengeance is the Lord, is the Lord. But if you you have a desire for revenge, in the sense that you will try to work against the things that you were formerly involved in, that you're repenting of, and you, there is a level of satisfaction in seeing other people turn from the sin that you were involved with, not because you're somebody, but because you can see God working in them. And, and in all these things, it says in the last part of the verse, in all these things you have proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. So, it's repentance has worked in you, not just to salvation, but after you're saved, you will continuously repent. As you go, you realize, oh, what I was doing was sin. So I need to turn from that and follow God's way, not follow what I thought was right based on my previous experiences. We jump back to Exodus chapter uh, chapter 12, where we were, verse 9. It says, Eat not of it raw, nor sun at all with water, but roast with fire. 
his head with his legs and the pertinence thereof. If you look at that, you couldn't choose how you got to eat it, and you couldn't choose what you ate. You were told what you could eat, what you, um, what you had to eat, and how to eat it. Does Christ set the standard in your life for what is what, how things are going to be done in your life? If you are saved, again it says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And it says, his yoke, my yoke, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and take my yoke upon you. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Christ, it's not that there's no burden with Christ, but that Christ gives you the power to overcome it. When you, there is a, when you are yoked with Christ, you follow what Christ has to do. When they took, when they had the oxen, I think I've explained this a bit before, but you'd have two oxen bowing side by side, and one was the experienced ox, and one was the younger ox. And you'd only be, the plowman would only have to direct the experienced ox. And the young ox would just go wherever he was led by the older, the older more experienced ox. If you're yoked with Christ, you're yoked with Christ, you're following Christ's lead. Christ says, right, we're going this way. And we're going this way. And you're going. You're, you're in a yoke with him. You're bound to him. But if... If when you're in that yoke and you want to go, the, the lead ox is going this way. If that young ox wants to go his own way, the yoke is going to hurt because it's going to rub on his neck. If you want to go your own way in Christ, that's when you're going to get hurt. Okay, but if you go with Christ, if you follow Christ in the yoke that he has for you, then, you're right, then the yoke is easy because he's pulling the load as well. He's doing his part. You can't do it in your own strength, but you do it with Christ. Um, where are we? Uh, we look at if we look at that word there in the verse pertinence. Um, it took me. I tried I'm trying to figure out what pertinence meant, and it, basically the word directly means something that belongs to something else to do with something, the word appertain. You attain to something, you, it's pertinent. But particularly, when you, if you look at the word, it means the heart and the liver and the lungs, if you, if you do a study on, on the word. And the question is, do you have the heart of Christ? Do you, you know, if Christ, where's Christ's heart? If you go to Luke, Chapter 19, and verse 10, it says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. Christ's heart is for the lost. If you're saved, you'll have a desire to see other people saved, not just to hog it all for yourself, but to share it with people. Because you have the heart of Christ in you. It will, the, live, the liver there, if you look at the word person, the liver is what cleanses your your blood. It goes through the liver and it cleanses your blood. Do you have, you know, are you repenting of your sin? Are you constantly coming back for cleansing? You know, you can be saved and still sin. Are you coming and getting that cleansed? Um, and the lines speak of the breath of, of God, which is the Spirit. Uh, John chapter 3. John chapter 3. And I don't have time to go into the whole study on how the 
the photographs were pictured, pictured by wind in certain parts of the scripture. But verse 8, uh, John chapter 3, verse 8, the wind blows where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whether it goeth, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Um, the lungs is where the air is, air, wind is air on the moon. So, do you have the heart of Christ? Do you have, as it were, the liver, the cleansing, the continual cleansing? Do you have the Spirit of God abiding in you and guiding you? Are you following His guidance? We go back to Exodus. Exodus chapter 12, verse 10. It says, And ye shall let nothing of it remain until morning, and that which remaineth of it until morning shall ye burn with fire. If we jump back to First um, Corinthians, First Corinthians chapter 3, talks about the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, and we'll start, um, just for the sake of time, uh, start verse 11. For, the foundation, for, no, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Christ Jesus. So you can't have your own foundation. You have to have the foundation of Christ. Now, if any man builds upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because, he have revealed, because it shall be revealed by fire, and shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but himself shall be saved, yet so is by fire. The song, there's a song that says, um, Life is short and soon to be over, only what's done for Christ will count. It talks then, Exodus chapter 10, we'll just sort of jump between us just for a moment here. But nothing, he shall leave nothing of it until morning, and that which remaineth of it until morning, he shall burn with fire. What you do for Christ, for the Lamb, is if, if it's not done by morning. If you haven't finished eating it by morning, it will be burned. It talks there in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it. What that's talking about the um, when Christ comes back for the judgment seat, the day shall declare it, and because because it shall be revealed by fire. What if they had eaten that whole lamb, there would have been nothing left to burn. Because they make it all. If you have done everything that you can for Christ, if every moment of your life is lived for Christ, when you come to the judgment seat of Christ, there's not going to be anything to burn up on that morning. But the resurrection morning. You're not going to have anything to burn up because you've eaten it all. In the picture, you know, they ate the, if they ate the whole lamb, there would be nothing left to burn up. If you live your whole life for Christ, there's not going to be anything to be burnt up at the end, when we are judged for our works, for Christ. But if, and say, just to reread that uh, through to 15, every man's work, verse start verse 13, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, 
because and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort of it is. If, a, if any man's work abide which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. But if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he, he himself shall be saved, yet so is by fire. If you look back in uh, Exodus chapter 12, the blood was applied to the door in verse 7, and they were covered by the blood. They were saved, and now they're what's left. If they didn't eat that land, if they didn't eat any of that land, the blood was applied to the door. They were saved from the judgment that was coming upon Egypt, which is a picture of the world. But everything is, was burned. If you are just going to go, you can have the blood applied, but if you just go and live your life however you want, and don't do what Christ has said, your whole life will be burnt away and you'll have nothing to give to God. Delay talks about in Revelation. I'm trying to get through this quick. But that we're casting the crowns before the throne of God. If you don't do the things that God has set for you to do, then you won't have a crown to lay at the throne of God. You won't have anything at the end of time. You'll just dust and ashes because it's all burnt up. Anyway, I need to keep moving. So, um, verse 11, chapter. Um, Exodus chapter 12, verse 11. It says, And ye shall eat it with your feet, with your loins girded, and your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So you're saved, and you have, in verse 8, you have the unleavened bread. You look at yourself honestly. You have the bitter herbs. You're repentant of your sin. You're not picking and choosing in, in verse 9, you're not picking and choosing how or what you live, how you live your life or what you're going to do. Uh, and you're eating the lamb. You're doing what you're supposed to do with the lamb. And in verse 11, it talks about preparation for the journey. I, if you are saved, you will prepare yourself for the journey that God has for you. They, you know, they, had, they were caught girded. They had their loins girded out and their staff their shoes on their feet and their staff in their hand, they were ready to go. If you're, are, you, are you saved? Are you ready to go? Um, and you'll be saved from, in, in verse 12 and 13, it talks about being saved from the wrath that's going to be poured out on Egypt. Egypt is a picture of the world. We are saved from the wrath of God that's going to be poured out upon this world by the blood. Again, verse 13. And the blood shall be for you as open upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And that's to be covered by the blood. If you just, um, we're going to move on from Exodus chapter 12 just in a minute. But if you go back to verse 2, verse 2, Hebrew, uh, Exodus chapter 12, verse 2. This month shall be unto you a beginning of months. It shall be the first day, the month of the year, to you. When you get saved, you have a new beginning. God changes your calendar. God changes, you know, you change their calendar from whatever they were following in Egypt. Whatever they had plans to do in Egypt, God changed the calendar when you saved them. Yep. You're, when you get saved, you're not going to want to do your own thing anymore. You're going to yep. want to do what God is pleasing to God. He resets your calendar and gives you... A new beginning. You have a clean slate to work on. 
And the question is, what are you going to do with them? Um, if we jump forward now to Exodus chapter 14, and this is really laying, trying to lay some groundwork because this is, and I'm not going to get all covered what I want to get covered, but laying some groundwork. Uh, Exodus chapter 20. So they got saved in Exodus chapter 12. There's a picture of salvation, a picture of the early work of God in the life of a believer. Go to Exodus chapter 14, verse 21. Verse talks about the crossing of the Red Sea. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and the sea was made dry land, and the waters were divided. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon dry ground, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left hand. If we jump forward to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, their crossing the Red Sea was a picture of baptism. They were baptized in First uh, Corinthians chapter ten and start verse one. Moreover, brethren, I would not have ye would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Verse two were all baptized and were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all did all eat of the same spirit to me. It talks then about uh, that they were baptized in Moses. But how is crossing the there is see a picture of baptism because we are, when we're baptized, it is to show the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ, that we are, have left the world behind and that we are now following Christ. It is, if God had done all the plagues in Egypt, right, and they stayed in Egypt, everybody, all the nations around about them said Egypt had a bad time. And Egypt really had. Egypt was destroyed. But when they went through the Red Sea, it showed all the nations around about that they were no longer Egyptian slaves, that they were saved, and that they were coming out. Yeah. They were now following Christ. They went down into the waters, as it were, and came up and out on the other side, following Moses, who was leading them, and the cloud that was leading Moses. It pictures the leaving of Egypt. It is, you're no longer identified as an Egyptian, they were no longer identified as Egyptian slaves, but as free people. We are no longer identified as slaves to this world system, but we are identified as followers of Christ. And that is, you know, it's a picture of their baptism. But when they went through, so they went through the Red Sea and into the wilderness. Um, and it was God's will to go through the wilderness. If we were going to I'm not going to spend too much time on the baptism. We're just going to move on. We can maybe look at it another time. But just for time's sake, um, God wanted them to go through the wilderness to the land of Canaan. They, all, all the people wanted was the blessings of the land of Canaan. But they didn't want the journey that accompanied them. They weren't happy and content for God to lead them, how God was going to lead them to their blessing to the promised land that uh, he had promised to Abraham and to Isaac, to Jacob, and to all the tribes, that that would be their land and their inheritance. They weren't happy with the way God was leading them. And you can read about, uh, read this very quickly, Exodus chapter 15, 
verse 22. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea to the, again, from their baptism. They went into the wilderness of Shur, and there was three days, and they went three days into the wilderness and found no water. And then they came, and when they came unto Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And if you look um, throughout their whole journey, they're murmuring, they're complaining about everything that God does to lead them to the land of Canaan. You can read about it um, verse chapter 16, 5, uh, 1 to 5, 17, verse 1 to 4. And you can just look up the word murmuring in your own time. And the people complained about everything God had for them, leading them to the promised land. And for, for me, I, just to give a bit of my story, and I think you've heard it before, but moving to Auckland was for me moving to the wilderness. There was a culture shock for me coming down here. Everything down here is different from the countryside. Um, there's a, it's a different way of life down here um, than in the countryside. And there was a culture shock and you know, adjusting to a job, moving away from home, completely different atmosphere. The, if you go, if you want to understand, if you want to understand New Zealand culture and what New Zealand is like, you can't look at Auckland. Auckland is a, an international culture. It's all the different nations mixed into one. If you, you've got to go into the countryside, where I'm, you know, I came from the countryside, to understand actual Kiwi culture. You know, the, there was a our first landlord was Iranian, and she said, oh, "There's no Kiwis around. You know, there's hardly any Kiwis anymore." Well, there are Kiwis, just not so many in Auckland because we have immigrants moving in, and not anything wrong with you know, most of you are immigrants. There's nothing wrong with being an immigrant, but you don't understand. New Zealand culture, because what you've come here to is Auckland City, which is an international culture, not New Zealand culture, where I come from. So to come, for me to come to Auckland was a culture shock. It was a different world. And I wasn't really happy. I'm not saying that I've reached uh, Cayman uh, God's promise, but uh, you know, I wasn't happy with my job. I wasn't happy with moving to Auckland, I wasn't happy with the place we were staying. And I got to complaining against God for how he was leading. And that is not right, because God has not led you into the wilderness to leave you in the wilderness, but to lead you through it. Because if you just go straight to the blessing, you won't appreciate them as much as if you go through the wilderness first. So God wanted to fulfill his promises, but if you go to uh, Hebrews chapter 3, Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 19, Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 19, why couldn't they go in? Hebrews chapter 3 gives the answer, so then we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. You know, I couldn't, 
I, I didn't understand why God brought me to Auckland. And I understand more now than I did then. I'm not saying I understand all. But I was looking at the circumstances of what I viewed should be or shouldn't be, not at what God had for me in the future. I would look at the present temporal things and the circumstances. And that's what the children of Israel had done and what, what led to their unbelief. Uh, Pastor mentioned it in his uh, devotion that he does before the preaching hour um, about Joshua and Caleb being uh, faithful witnesses. Go to Numbers, Numbers chapter 13. This is the, that text that the uh, pastor was mentioning. Numbers chapter 13. And start in verse 26. And they came, and when they came, sorry, and they went and came to Moses, this is the twelve spies, and to all the congregations of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh, and brought back word unto them. And unto all the congregation showed them the fruit of the land, and the, the cluster of grapes, and the pomegranates, and the figs. Don't you can read about that in verse 23, but you can read so I move. Um, and they told them, We came into the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey. This is the fruit of it, so they showed them the fruit. Nevertheless, the people be strong, dwell in the land, and the cities are walled, and very great. Moreover, we saw the children of Anak and the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stood the people before Moses and said, Let us all go at once and possess the land, for we are well able to overcome them. But, but the men that went up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land, which they searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search is the land that keepeth up the inhabitants thereof, and the people that we saw in it were men of great stature. And we saw the giants, the sons of Anak which come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. So they went, so were they, so were we in their sight. Chapter 14. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said unto them, Would to God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or that we had died in this wilderness. Wherefore hath the Lord brought us, Lord brought us out unto this land, no, sorry, brought us unto this land to fall by the sword, and our wives and that, that our wives and our children should be a prey. Were we not bet, were it not better for us to return to Egypt? And they said one to another, Let us make captain and let us return unto Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the, the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel, and Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of Jephthah, that is bad, <laughs> the tribe of Kansas, which were 
of them that search the land, rent their clothes, and they take all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search is an exceeding great and good, an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flowed which flowed with milk and honey. Only rebel not against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land. For they have bread for us, for our defenses, for their defense the time departed from them. And the Lord is with us, fear them not. Um, just we're gonna stop there, but if you look at that, there was ten spies that said you can't go in. You can't make it. Ten is the number associated with the law in the Bible. If you just have the commandments, the Ten Commandments, you can't go in to the promises of God. So there's ten, as it speaks of the law. If you look at the two, Joshua and Caleb speaks of grace and mercy. The only way to obtain it is by the mercy of God and the grace of God. Um, you can't go in of yourselves. And they were looking at all of the circumstantial evidence, all that they could see with the eye. But the Bible says it's just a little by faith in several, in I think three or four places in the Bible, but if you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 2 Corinthians chapter 4 uh, the context of this is well, we look not at things which are seen, but things that are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Chapter 5, starting verse 1. We know that if our earth, uh, the time will just jump down to verse 7, it says, For we walk not, for we walk by faith, not by sight. The context of that is talking about us receiving our glorified body in the resurrection. And, uh, talking about our, our earthly tabernacle being dissolved and that um, there is a tabernacle in the heavens made without hands which we have of we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle so that's talking about your flesh were dissolved we have a building of God not in ha- a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens for this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. If so, if so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we should be unclothed, but that we should be clothed upon, that, immort- that mortality might be swallowed up for life. Now he that hath brought, uh, brought forth us, now he that hath brought us for the self-same thing of God, who have, who also giveth us unto us the earnest of the Spirit, wherefore we are always confident, knowing that knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk not by faith but by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So that's um, talking about being focused upon um, with immortality being and receiving your glorified body. Um, but it's, we're also talking about, you know, we believe that, not based on what we can see around here, but based on the Word of God. 
Numbers chapter, where were we just before? Numbers chapter 13. The negative report that was brought up of the land was based on everything that they could see. But there was a reality that they couldn't see. If you go to Joshua, Joshua chapter 2, verse 8 to 11. Verse 8, Joshua chapter 2, verse 8. And before they were laid down, so the, the spies have come to Rahab, and they're, in there, they're, they're up on the roof, and they're about to go to sleep. So verse 8, and before they were laid down, she came unto them upon the roof, and said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, given you the land, and the terror and your terror is fallen upon us, and all the inhabitants of the land are faint because of you. For we heard how the Lord dried up the Red Sea for the Egyptians for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites, which were on the other side of Jordan, Shion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts did melt, neither did there remain any more courage in man, in any man, because of you, for the fear of the Lord your God, Sorry. Because of you, for the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Forty years, when they, when they, those spies, went to view the land, that was the state of the land. They could have walked right in and taken the land. But because they looked at the circumstances, they couldn't go in. Because of their unbelief, they couldn't go in. They did not believe what God, um, that God would do what he can do. And I've just been giving the signal for time. So, um, just a couple more verses. We go to Joshua chapter 3, 16 and 17. Um, it says, And the waters which came down from above stood and rose up from very, and very far from the city of Adam, that beside the and those that came down towards the sea of the famous, uh, even the salt sea, so that's the Dead Sea, coming down from Galilee, the Lake of Galilee to the uh, Dead Sea, failed and were cut off. And the people passed over right against Jericho. And the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm, stood firm on dry ground in the midst of Jordan. And all the Israelites passed over on dry land, uh, on dry ground, until all the people were passed clean over Jordan. So God has provided a way for us to enter into the Promised Land, which talks uh, of uh, the victorious Christian life. And we'll look at this maybe another time. I'm a long way from done. <laughs> and the same, so. God has provided a way. He didn't want the children of Israel walking around in the wilderness for 40 years until they died. God doesn't want you walking around in your Christian life for 40 years being bitter. Why hasn't God done this? Why hasn't God done that? When, if you believe God, then God will lead you along. God will provide a way. God provided a way for them to go through the, um, through the river Jordan and God has provided us the way, and that obviously Christ is our way. But once you're in the 
land, God has also provided the means to conquer the land. Um, and we're not going to get to, we're not going to read it all tonight because of time, but the Bible talks in Hebrews about the sword of the Lord, as the word of God, um, is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. That's one weapon that we're given to conquer the land with. To, to obtain the spirit, your victory in your Christian life, you have the word of God, and Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, they seem we have an, a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. We have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So that's your two. Your Josh, the Joshua and the Caleb picture the grace and mercy, and that right there, uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 through 16, speaks of prayer. You're coming to the throne of grace to find mercy and help. And that's the same weapon. So you have the word of God and you have prayer. And that's the same weapons listed in when you read through the armor of God, you get to the end and say, okay, um, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, says, and take the helmet, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. We just stopped there for a long time today. But again, the same two weapons are listed, prayer and the word of God. And for our, um, our last verse, just um, for tonight, uh, if you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, last verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and again, uh, just as 1 to 5 is what I've got written down, but just for time, um, start verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For our weapons, that's the word of God and prayer, are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So I'm going to finish there. But if you, verse 4, it talks about pulling down of strongholds. And the first fight that Israel had when they went into the land was Jericho. They were pulling down the strongholds. So God has provided the means for you to pull down strongholds, your spiritual strongholds, and just for tonight, it's the Word of God and prayer, and I don't know what I can uh, preach next, but we can go over, or through further, into looking at the taking, the claiming of the promised land, because Christian life is not walking apart. It's a war on battlefield, and it's constant, and if you look at the way they go into the land, it was a constant fight the whole way. Um, and I'm going to keep going tonight, but I'm be quiet. <laughs> We're going to just close with prayer and we can pick it up uh, at the time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for tonight. And, uh, thank you, Lord, for the uh, love as far as we did. And I pray, Lord, that this will be a help and encouragement to people. Uh, Lord, uh, if there be any saved, Lord, that they would uh, have the blood of the Lamb of God, which is Jesus Christ, that fight for their heart, Lord, and be saved. Lord, not for our glory, but for your glory. Lord, not that the church can look good and say we won souls, Lord, that you uh, will make us make us Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would lead us, Lord, through the wilderness and not allow us to stagnate and, Lord, 
walk around for years and years till we die in bitterness because we don't or won't look at past the circumstances of all that will lead us to the promised land or to a victorious life through your victory over the devil and the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. i 